0: Welcome back to The Ovation Show, where we're discussing the healthcare crisis in America, bringing partners, colleagues, clients, and business owners together, and discussing solutions and innovations that are bringing a higher quality of care to employees while reducing their out-of-pocket costs, but we're also reducing employer costs and giving them more transparency and control. We're live today in the Work Innovator Studio in Castle Hills, where they're amplifying the voice of business. Today we're going to really get dive into a little bit on stop loss and self-funded health plans i brought in one of my good friends spencer smith who is i don't know expert and passionate about self-funding which is kind of ridiculous all the same sentence having passion for self-funding
1: yeah (laughs) i don't know i don't know where that came from man and it it is a passion but it's it's bizarre because it's one of the weirdest things to be passionate about i think in this world is stop loss insurance
0: stop loss soccer it's kind of all goes down yeah
1: and heavy metal we'll throw a little (laughs) heavy metal metal, metal, yeah yeah (laughs) but yeah so i i I sometimes cringe and i don't know if you're uh, the same way as me like the idea of being labeled an expert at something is like you know you feel like you never quite live up to that uh, that title, but I'll, yeah. I'll take it. I love it. And hopefully I do a pretty good job of explaining it and, and getting people passionate about learning
0: more as well. Yeah, you've got me passionate about it, but I go back to when I met you, it was about six years ago. Yeah. Um, and that's when I'd gone to the Ascend Conference, Next Gen Mastermind, that was my first intro to that. And I was just breaking into, I mean, i would already been doing level funding. So mm-hmm. my only exposure to stop loss was what was on the level funding quotes. And I understood. You're paying for this risk, they're accepting the risk over ten thousand yeah. dollars, over twenty thousand. That was kind of where it was. And then I sat with my buddy Joe Fernandez and said, Okay, I need you to teach me stop loss if I know you understand it. And he went through a chart and all that and I was thoroughly confused. <laughs> and so then I started diving in, learning, got myself on certifications, but still that stop loss mm-hmm. world was still kind of foreign to me. Yeah. And so then you called me and we went and had Starbucks. Yeah. Got to know each other. And that yeah. was you know again six years ago. And I I looked now at what you're doing, because you were talking stop loss, which again then was kind of foreign. Now it's not. Um, But I've watched where you've come in that industry. Mm -hmm. And so I guess first, let's go back, you know, your your insurance career. Where did you start? And then how did you get into self-funding?
1: Well, so if we go way back to the very beginning, it was an accident getting into the, uh, the industry because I was out of school, didn't know what I wanted to do. Uh, my wife and I, prior to being married, she knew she wanted to come down to Texas, but it was like, well, I'm not coming down if you don't have a job and we don't have a place to live. And I'm like, all right, well, I've got my marching orders. So I uh, just started applying online. It was pre-LinkedIn. So this was like monster.com or whatever, and just applying for jobs. And I got a job at Liberty Mutual. They were willing oh. to take a flyer on a kid with no experience and you know, decent grades in college. And so I started as a claims adjuster, uh, believe it or not, like in it, not my favorite industry in the world, but it was a, an entry point into the insurance industry and then. And from there, Benefit mall, Hayes Companies, and the eventual foray, this was about seven, eight years later, would have been stop loss with, with Sun Life. I got a fateful recruiter call, literally a voicemail left on my, my work phone, of all things, and said, hey, would you be interested in selling stop loss? And I said, well, I don't know how to sell, but I like stop loss, and Sun Life's a great company, so why don't I, yeah, oh, yes, let's try it. And so that's where I discovered it was a, a nice combination of, you know, finance, of numbers a little bit of the artistry and subjective nature of like you know what parts do you move for this particular group so it's the right protection i i I just it it just grew on me it was like that like you know the movie inception where you plant a seed in somebody's mind and then you can't that was what happened with stop loss for me and so that was what seven seven years ago now and i'm just as passionate today as i was then although i don't get to talk it day in and
0: day out like I, i used to makes me laugh you came from sun life because i feel like all the best people and the best friends uh, I have: yeah. Chad, uh, Chad Albertson, Trevor Pearson, Andrew McNerl, and you all came from Sun Life.
1: Well, I think so funny. Sun Life is an extraordinary company. I don't think anybody would uh, would disagree with that, but they also have the unfortunate distinction of training a lot of people <laughs> that end up going elsewhere, um, and I think maybe they built that into their training program, but it's probably because they, I uh, think they identify really good people. They do a really good job of, of training those folks on the technicals, and other companies I think understand that, well, we can poach people away from there and they're probably going to be
0: pretty, pretty darn good. So it's funny that you said how you just kind of fell into the insurance mm-hmm. and got there because I've only met one person, I think, ever during a DAHU meeting. And they said, you know, who, who here knew they always wanted to be in insurance? And he was like, me? That's <laughs> how I grew up. I went to school. That's what I wanted to do. Yeah. And, you know, no, we all fall into it. I fell into it by yeah. accident mm-hmm. as well. Um, you know, you were just talking about something you said about finding your niche in insurance. Mm-hmm. You found it in stop loss. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, we all progress there somehow. Some go into VB, some go into other areas. I mean, for me, I found my niche. I started in the VB sector voluntary benefits with Aflac. And then I started doing small group. And there was a point in my career where I kind of said, man, I just, this isn't fun anymore. You know, quoting on spreadsheets, battling over customer service as far as, oh, this broker has this service, yeah, have this service, rates are the same wherever we go. I really wasn't enjoying it. Yeah. And then I think when 2014 came, the ACA came, we talked about this on your show. I started doing level funding, mm-hmm. a little more interesting. Now we're looking at claims, we're doing some cost reductions. And then after, when I went to Ascend and come back, you know, a couple of years later and learn about self-funding, that excitement came in. Yeah, the same excitement you have yeah, for stop absolutely, loss. Absolutely, absolutely. I see the same thing now. Um, so, you know, when I met you, you're working. Well, let's first, let's go back. Let's yeah. talk about self. Let's talk about stop loss. Yeah. Okay. For the people that don't know what stop loss is, maybe they're just getting into this, whether it's be a broker or a client. You've done a lot of videos. Explain your own words. Something very simple. What is stop loss?
1: Yeah, so I mean, you could say you said I did a lot of videos. I, did, I think I did like 24, 25, and I basically exhausted everything I knew about stop loss. So um, it could take time to, to really deeply explain it, but the easiest way to understand it, it is if a group is going to be self-funded, which I, I, your audience probably understands that, but for the folks that don't, rather than prepaying for your insurance from an insurance company and they basically indemnify you for all of your claims, you as a self-funded employer say, you know what, I'm going to take some of the risk on my uh, on my own, and I'm going to pay those claims as they come in bi-weekly or uh, monthly. Stop loss is effectively just that layer of risk protection that sits on top that says, all right, in the event of a truly catastrophic claim, a 50, 100, 150, $250,000 claim, we are going to buy protection that prevents us from, you know, effectively uh, our budget being blown up by one very sick person or one, one big incident. So stop loss just layers on top of your, your normal daily claims and allows you to mitigate that really, really big picture risk as well there's an aggregate stop loss that that obviously protects the whole thing but it's just a it's a stop gap a stop loss is exactly i think i heard somebody say that stop loss is the only insurance that's appropriately named because it literally (laughs) stops your losses and that's Mm -hmm. the goal so if you're going to be self-funded you're going to add a layer of unpredictability to your plan this is there
0: in a worst case scenario type situation we say worst case scenario and i think that's one of the the, always the pushbacks when we talk to a client maybe even taking them self-funded the risk oh my god Mm -hmm. there's risk and realistically, we say, well, you know what your risk is, though, because you know we'll look at here's what the maximum claims are. Mm-hmm. That's your worst case scenario, and the stop loss basically picks up all that true risk afterwards. Yeah. So we always kind of explain that. Really, the main thing you have to worry about is this is your max exposure, and it's just that volatility month by month, week by week, of mm-hmm. depending on what's going on in your in your company. But you know, with stop loss, I think that's there for those big catastrophic claims overall. Mm-hmm. Things like things you can't predict: cancer, heart attacks, strokes. Uh, Premature babies. preemie babies are the one that always, always ones. come to, yeah. Well, I, I, that's probably outside of some of the specialty
1: medications. I mean, I, that was the most frequent, extremely large claim that I saw was preemie babies that stayed in the NICU for a couple of weeks or a month. I mean, it was very regular to see a $2, 3000000 million claim. I saw preemie twins one time that was like $3.4 million, and you're just going... My God! But that's—I mean—that's—that is what the stop loss is there for—is that nobody knows that's coming, right? You know, you have somebody that is pregnant on your plan, and you hope everything goes well. But in the event that it doesn't, that's what the stop loss insurance is there for.
0: Yeah. In fact, we know a captive we work with. I mean, they—they had three preemie babies last year in that whole captive. I mean, Mm -hmm. that that hurt them. But it's such an odd—it doesn't happen that often. When it does, you know, it's a million plus probably each baby. You mentioned also the pharmacy side of stuff, Mm -hmm. and I know that's where we've been really lucky we've been able to reduce with partners like script sourcing, which now Andrew McGurland works for.
1: Yeah, I know. Congratulations, Andrew, by the way. Good job. I was very, very excited to see him land there.
0: Yeah. And so, you know, there we're able to pull off a lot of that pharmacy now too, because we just have, we have a group that, you know, is a $200,000 hit mm-hmm. for pharmacy on one drug. Using a company like ScriptSource, and we're able to pull that off the stop loss, which again gives us fit more favorable rates with the stop loss.
1: Yeah. Any Anytime you can make risk more predictable and even potentially move it off the plan or out of the plan, the, the stop loss obviously that's going to be a fa- have a favorable impact. So, are you guys? So, when they move it, just out of curiosity yeah, myself. Yeah. So, when they move it, how how is it becoming uh, and you know a separate part of the plan? How is it being sourced separately? I'd be curious just to hear because that's something I hear in the market, but yeah. I haven't had fully explained to me. yet.
0: Yeah. There's a few different ways to do it. Different kinds companies, we found script sourcing to be the best one that we're using, but we're basically it's a strap-on to the PBM. Okay. So if PBM gets the, let's just say it's Humira, they get the prescription, that immediately gets flagged over, sends over to script source, and they reach out to the employee said, hey, if you will walk through some process with this, and we think we can get that drug for you at no cost, right? and it, that way, no cost to the employer and no cost to the employee, it pulls it off the claims. And we find even now, when we're talking to stop loss and and we're, we're working with carriers and doing and trying to get rates, we'll tell them. Hey, they ask now what what do you have implemented? Well, we've got RBPN, we have pharmacy management, mm-hmm. we have zero card, we have these things there, and that's reducing claims get some more favorable rates with the stop loss. Well,
1: that's just, so I got, I had the uh, fortune of speaking at the uh, U Powered Benefits uh, Conference in Wish Arizona. I I had gone to that. Yeah, really. it was great, by the way. It, it was fantastic. Uh, shout out to Emma and David for an awesome uh, conference. But I had the fortune to be able to speak about stop loss at that event with Christy Vago of Intact, and yep. she's amazing. But we talked about how important the story is to tell the stop loss carrier, MGU. Yep. So you, when you're positioning things like zero card or script, script sourcing, the carriers need to know that stuff. Cause that's a material impact on the plan and that might change the risk assessment yep. for a person oh well you can get the drugs over here yeah we, we predicted it was gonna cost 120 grand a year but you're getting over here at zero cost or lower cost well now all of a sudden that's not a concern for the stop-loss carrier but as as brokers and consultants I, I think the the message was Really make sure you inform the stop loss carrier of all the things that you plan to do ahead of time. Give them adequate data as well as uh, ample time to assess what that impact would be. But give them that data. Don't just expect they assume it or don't expect that it's not going to have an impact. Because actually most of that stuff does, even if it's just on the ag factors, um, it's going to improve the, the plan performance. And so they'll give you discounts for
0: that. it's all about risk and like i mean that's what we look at when we're taking a group or looking at self-funding it's how do we lower that risk we still want to give a higher quality of care but Mm -hmm. how do we lower the risk which inevitably lowers claims and lowers your stop-loss costs we're talking of you're talking about you know again underwriting and Mm -hmm. getting rates you came from a ga Mm -hmm. or an mgu a ga yeah okay Amwins, yeah okay yeah so with Amwins, so you're quoting different carriers Mm -hmm. so i don't know what if i'm a employer or a broker and I'm quoting for carriers, what are things that we should be doing besides, hey, there's data, give them all the information. What other, what other suggestions do you have when you're going?
1: Well, so uh, the, the value of a GA, there's a, a few reasons you'd use a GA. One is the access to the market, right? Like they're gonna have access and relationships with a lot more carriers than most brokers have directly. But I think one of the key things that they're gonna bring to the table is understanding, well, if this is the type of risk, this is the type of group, this size, here's the specialty things they're doing, they're gonna go, okay, well, if I have 30 carriers to go, to out of uh you know those 30 maybe seven are really appropriate or they're going to have an appetite for this particular risk profile so i think that's just really understanding is you don't just send the same groups always to the exact same carriers because each one of them has a different appetite you know some of them don't like fully insured takeover some of them don't like rbp as much as others some of them specialize in rbp Mm -hmm. like intact so i think that's really the understanding is like all carriers are not created equal and stop loss gets commoditized quite a bit in the marketplace but truly there are a lot of really unique value propositions out there so knowing who to go to and knowing what types of risk to send to them they're going to appreciate that because you actually sent them something they want and they're going to i think spend more time trying to win that business than you just shotgunning the
0: market Well, it's much like when we look at clients we like to go to clients and say you are a client that fits our profile. yeah you are, you're the client we want to work with you, you know, whether it be employee engagement, the type of employees, the growth, the size of the company, their risk profile, mm-hmm. or maybe you know where they are in their current uh, employee benefits. So you do the same thing with a stop loss carrier is who fits that profile. Maybe they are maybe they're really good at trucking companies, not so good at legal law firms. Mm-hmm. And so look at that. One thing you talked about in one of your episodes, I think it was with Alison Nepali, and I've heard it in a couple other ones. Was the importance of relationships? Oh yeah, with, with a stop loss carrier, and I know, like I particularly, we have two we do a lot of business with, and that helps us a lot. Hundred percent. Talk about the, I mean, you again, you've worked with a lot of carriers in the past. So, what's talk about relationships? Well, I was
1: talking about this literally yesterday with a carrier that said, "Hey, um, I cannot stand it when a broker sends me an RFP that says." market check or due diligence and then then they go well why did you decline this rfp it's like well you told me you're just literally just asking for rates because you're not going to move the group and so that comes down to that relationship side of things if you're going to a carrier understand there's a lot of work that goes on the other side of this there's a lot of time they allocate of course a lot of money paying the underwriters to assess that risk so the relationship It's kind of a two-way street. You also need to say, all right, well, I'm coming to you for this group because of X, Y, Z. What's the story? And I believe you're a good fit or you've done some great favors for me in the past. I would like to see if you guys can get a shot at this and really tell them, hey, I'm not going to 20 carriers. I'm going to three. And I think this might be yours if you can get there. So that kind of communication that's a little more subjective in nature, but it gives them the, I don't know, the the hook or gives them a little meat on the bone to go. All right, we're going to spend more time on this because Dan tells me this is a good group for me. Let's take a look and see if he's right. And if if we agree, let's go write this thing together. And so I think that's where the relationship side comes in, too. If if things happen or things go wrong or something slips through the crack or there's a a claim that's maybe on the fence, but you've had you built a decent block with them, you've you've done uh, well for them in the past. They might go, you know what? We'll cover this one. And then you remember that, right? That's a two way street too. So maybe you give them opportunities on more groups in the future because of that. I think not a lot enough people understand how important the relationship is with a stop loss carrier because there's so many levers that can be pulled and there's so much room sometimes for them to move to get groups. It's that the relationship side. But if you're just, again, shotgunning the market or blasting it out to everybody and you don't
0: really build any rapport, they're also not gonna do any favors for you in return. Well, I also think not even the block of business. Maybe only have one client or a couple clients, but when you keep a client with us, I would think we keep them with a stop loss carrier. You know, we know one in five years is going to be bad. Everyone's going to have one year out of five that's bad, but that carrier can look at and say, "Yeah, look, look what we made on these couple years. Look how much we saved Look at the things they're doing. It becomes that history, Mm -hmm. and they and they're able to adjust more." they can have more forgiveness when you've been with them for three or four years. Well, they can also say, Dan, you know, know what?
1: This This case didn't run this well uh, that well last year. We, we lost money. I need this level of renewal for it to be sustainable for us. And then you might have a conversation with, well, we actually, we understand that that's fair. I mean, I may be able to go to the market and shave a few points off, but you know, it ran well for a couple of years, you made money. And then this year, maybe you lost some money. But hey, if that's a fair renewal for everybody and that's actually a sustainable price point for the future, you don't feel compelled; you have to move it to save, uh, you know, a couple points. And I think carriers appreciate that too. If they can renew groups at the level that you know their their manual and their assessment says it should, that's actually a good thing, you know. And so maybe you, there's a perception too that I'm not just trying to beat you down. I'm not just trying to find the cheapest rates on a spreadsheet. And so that relationship could be and also, hey, we're going to renew a little bit higher, but it's because what you've done uh, for the client
0: over the years as well. We've talked about a couple of things that you know. Re- again, reducing the cost, you bring it to the stop-loss carry like zero card and script sourcing mm-hmm. and those kind of things. But so, from your side, looking back, mm-hmm. what are some of the little other secrets that you know? Hey, have you thought about this to help reduce costs? You know, lasers. Well, I want to yeah. talk about lasers with you in a minute. Okay. But what other things besides are there are other other little th- things you've seen that can help reduce costs, help negotiate, mm-hmm. or that maybe that employers and in- and brokers miss.
1: Well, there's actually two two things we talked about at that um, at the conference that I, I highlighted. And Christy and I we we kind of weighed back and forth on these two subjects. But I am a humongous fan of aggregating specific deductibles. Ag specs. I've heard of that. Yeah. Yep. So we so uh, for the audience, if they're not familiar, um, well, you know, if the, at least you have a basic understanding of a stop loss of specific and uh, an aggregate deductible. It's effectively a combination of those two things. So you add a second layer, a uh, threshold of risk on top. Um, I've heard it described as a gift card where. They'll give you a gift card where you get a reduction in your premium, it's usually a dollar for dollar, but you have to use it on that risk. If, if mm-hmm. that group does go above that threshold, now you're using that discount that I gave you, you have to pay the claims. But the reason why I like it is almost always it's a dollar-for-dollar dollar, um, reduction to your premium in exchange for that, You know, let's say a 50K you know, all things being equal and it's not an extremely small or extremely big group, you're gonna get probably a dollar-for-dollar dollar reduction in your premium. So okay, well now I take 50 grand of risk in in the event that it actually comes into play, but I've lowered my fifty uh, my fixed cost by fifty thousand. So I think even, you know, in worst case scenario, you're you've effectively neutralized the, the cost. So that's why I'm a humongous fan of them. And it is also a guaranteed reduction of fixed cost on the front end. So let's say you do run well well, you know, you lowered your fixed cost price point by 50 grand and next year's renewal, that's your starting point for their uh, leverage trend and things like that. And so I just, I'm a big fan of that versus like an experience reward where you pay for the potential to get money back. Um, Some carriers will say, all right, well, we'll charge you 5%. If it runs well, you'll get a 10% return on premium at the end of the year. And there's a bunch of criteria that have to be met. I don't like the idea of paying for the potential to get more money back. I'd rather just reduce my, my front end fixed cost.
0: Yeah, David Contorno, I expect when he said that, I heard Contorno say that in January in yeah. Nashville. He and, I'm, about, and that was the first time I had heard about it, and he was talking about it at the Ascent.
1: Well, and I think universally speaking, especially people that have been doing stop loss for a number of years, like there's almost no downside to it. Now you might argue, well, it's not, you know, it's not going to replace lasers completely or sometimes brokers ask for an aspect to try to get rid of lasers and not not all carriers are willing to do that. But it's just one of those really useful tools in your toolkit that are not enough uh, consultants, I think, ask for. And I think it's really the, the, the problem is just understanding the basics of what it is and how it works and why it works. Then when you explain it, usually like you, you're going, ah, I've heard of that. And oh yeah, like, so that all it really comes down to is just a little bit of education from the stop loss carrier to explain why it could be valuable so all right so we mentioned lasers now going to lasers so first explain the laser okay so if we're again we're working with a basic understanding of what a specific deductible is let's use a basic example of i've got a hundred k spec for my my uh employee base so everybody uh has a hundred thousand dollar deductible I, as an employer, pay every dollar up to 100,000. If one person goes above that, now the stop loss carrier picks up that tab. A laser says, you know what? Everybody gets $100,000 spec, except Sally over here has cancer and she's on a routine chemotherapy treatment. And that's gonna cost probably about $250,000 next year. So the stop loss carrier says, you know what? I cannot not absorb the risk that Sally uh, proposes to the plan without either raising the premium up substantially or how about we add a laser for Sally, which means everybody else stays at that 100K level. But if Sally has $250,000 of claims, that employer has to pay all $250,000 until stop loss would potentially come into play. So it's just, it's, it's pulling somebody out of the pile, setting them aside and saying that person has their own specific deductible assessment is what they call it, or a laser is the terminology. But it's just pinpointing one person and saying, you are actually different than the rest of the risk profile. So we have to have a higher, it's always gonna be higher level of deductible for you.
0: Yeah, and we've seen some with lasers. In fact, we had, a, we had one that put a laser in and the employer was very used to lasers. And what was great about it was it reduced the premium, mm-hmm. the stop loss premium by about $100,000. Mm-hmm. And the good thing was there was a $250,000 laser and they had a $70,000 spec. Well, we were doing medical management things for the employee. They never even hit any of it. Mm-hmm. And so they saved, basically they said, well, by taking that risk and hoping it doesn't happen and managing it, we never hit it and we saved $100,000 on stop loss yeah. premium. But its I think it is good to have and in a lot of cases it does. It reduces that premium and you can show that difference. But we see, I'm seeing a lot of whether it be captives or even uh self-funded plans saying well we give especially in the captive market no 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 new lasers no no new lasers yeah Yeah. and i've heard people say different things some go say that is awesome we're going to promote this other people say no new lasers is not a good thing yeah so what's your opinion on either way well i don't say it's not necessarily not
1: a good thing but there i have been um my eyes have been opened about it's not always in the best interest of the group. So you're going to there's going to be a load of some sort to the premium load, meaning a charge for that no new laser contract because a carrier is then saying, well, I can't assess a laser on the other end of this contract no matter how bad it is. So I need at least a little more in fixed costs in order to to uh, you know kind of neutralize that risk. But the problem with if you get stuck in the mindset of a no new laser. Let's say you have that one instance that you just described. Well, if I'm not going to allow that carrier to laser, well, how are they gonna write the ship? They're going to increase the premium. Mm -hmm. So some of those no new lasers will come with a 50% rate cap, meaning they can't increase the premium by more than 50%. But let's say their loss ratio is four or 500%. Well, no matter how many years they raise it by 50% each year, they're gonna be stuck. Um, And the group is gonna be paying out the wazoo in fixed costs so your example is a great example of why it would be in the group's best interest to actually take the laser because hey the risk to the laser means it may not actually happen i think they say roughly about 50 percent of the time or even i think actually it's closer to 25 percent of the time uh, an underwriter's assessment of a laser actually was correct. So you go, all right, well, I'm gonna take a little bit of a gamble. I'm gonna reduce my fixed costs. And if we manage this appropriately, or you know, for some reason that person leave, leaves a plan, heaven forbid, obviously they pass away as well, but it's just a little bit of a trade-off in risk versus lower premium. And so you get just stuck on this hamster wheel of like, oh, I'm just gonna keep letting them raise their premium forever, but I got a no new laser and this yeah. is great. I don't think that's actually
0: uh, true always at all. Well, it's funny because there's a, a large captive that we're talking to, and they they really push that no new laser, and and we guarantee no more than a thirty percent increase. I'm going on a captive, on a captive, okay. And I'm going a thirty percent increase. So you're so you're saying you can you can increase, increase it to thirty percent. Yeah, I'm like that's a lot of money. I'd rather have the laser personally, mm-hmm. and you know, and do it. And I've got one group that you know runs kind of hot right now, and even then with the laser. I mean, we're keeping the renewal, it's less than 8%. Yeah. we're bringing, It's probably gonna come down a little bit with some other things we're doing, but considering they probably would've got a 30% increase with that particular captive. So yeah, I mean, I think lasers, you go back and forth, you have to weigh out the costs. And- yeah, and
1: it's, it's, it's one of those situations where it's not an all or an either or, right? right. There's absolutely nuance. But in the example you described, and I've seen countless other examples where it actually was in the best interest to allow for lasers, and this is one thing at one point I made um, at that conference, Just because you have a no new laser contract and the carrier's not allowed to assess a laser from their end, doesn't mean you can't ask them to assess a laser instead. So you're not stuck with, oh, I can't get a laser and maybe I want one. You can come to them and say, hey, you know what? Actually, I think it's in both of our best interests. Let's laser this person. I'm gonna allow for this. The group is gonna sign off on it. And you know what? Let's just pretend that no new laser didn't exist. Um, One other point I think that's important for people to understand, no new lasers are not guaranteed in perpetuity. So just because you had it this year, doesn't mean that carrier has to offer it next year or and then some. So just understand that it's not like, it's not this, uh, okay, well I paid a little more in fixed costs and I've guaranteed
0: the future of this group forever without lasers, it's not the case at all. Well, like you said, you know, saying, hey, let's get a laser on this person. We did that with a group. Yeah. We said, hey, put a laser on this person. The reason we did it, because it was a drug. Well, I knew we were getting the drug, we are about to get the drug for free. There you go. So we took the laser, 200,000 laser on that person, reduced the premium. Meanwhile, we never actually even touched it because we got that drug for free because it, it, it was a laser on the uh, for that drug. And also, I think you can also make lasers too, more specific, which we did too. There was somebody going through, I think it was cancer, but it was his chemotherapy. So we lasered not him as an employee, just his chemotherapy. Mm-hmm. And so we're able to get really- Contingent some, laser. Yeah, yep. so just very specific on that. So again, if he had other claims related to other things, it wasn't all falling, That was just related to that chemotherapy. And that really worked because he actually got off the chemotherapy and we never really hit it either. Yep. But, it, but it is reducing the stop loss. Um, so let's go into, all right, so we've kind of covered a lot of stop loss stuff. Yeah. But let's talk about you and okay. where you've gone now because you're now doing, you know, self-funded with Spencer Smith. Yes. And the episodes are fantastic. Thank I think you. you've got 50 or 60 now, close to that?
1: Uh so Total in the chamber, I think I'm up to number 40 now. But I've only, you know, I I look back and I just started it in March of 21. So here we are, what, uh, it's February of 22. So a little less than a year. And some of that's, you know, cadence and frequency and scheduling, right? But um, it's been a really, uh, you know, kind of interesting and accidental ride. But I mean, just like you, I, I enjoy this medium so much. And I think we were talking about off camera here a moment ago. It's like our industry is embracing media is embracing video is embracing, you know, content creation. I think we have a generational shift or even just maybe a more open mind about, hey, our our industry has been labeled as uptight and stodgy and things like that. Guess what? We can make it interesting. We can make it cool. And sometimes I heard at the conference last week, the medium is the message. So this medium really is a maybe a more effective way of delivering this idea about insurance and about stop loss and attracting new people maybe to be interested in, in our industry
0: yeah and i think that's kind of you know i i was using it yeah let's push the name of ovation out but then i realized i'm actually creating a library of content so i and i've I've used it quite a bit on our end is you know we're talking about some maybe it was you know telemedicine Mm -hmm. and i was like oh well i had you know i had Michael Gordon, the CEO or the founder of Teledocon, I've had Ray Clone of My I can send that to a client yeah. or a prospect, say, Hey, have you watched this video? This really goes through. Instead of me trying to explain it, they can watch this great video. But the same thing with yours, I watch your videos. I've used your videos on Stop Loss one oh one. Yeah, you know, for clients that are just breaking into that. So that medium and having access to that that wasn't there before has well, really it, helped. It,
1: it, it, it as sort of exponentially increases your productivity and it sounds weird to dedicate some time well that's taking away from my productivity but just like you mentioned i had somebody the other day is like hey do you really like the certified self-funded specialist um designation like would you do you think it's worth it i could have scheduled a 30-minute call with this person and just talked it through him but i said you know what i actually made a video about this about two <laughs> years ago here you go and he's like oh, i should have known you had a video and i should have asked first but to your point right like i have hours and hours of content that might be applicable in a certain situation that I can just send to somebody either for prospecting or to answer a question. And it doesn't require my actual dedicated time all the time to do it. So you you shoot it once, it's out there in perpetuity, and then it might be useful two years down the line, but you have content that you can share that is of value to other people. And so I think that's why I've, I've come to the realization that this effort is is absolutely worth it um it's paying off in dividends for plan site but it's also paying off in brand awareness uh, of just who i am which is useful obviously for you as a consultant as well and then again you just put a little more time into this but now you have a record of a conversation that's useful in the future which i think is super cool
0: well, so you mentioned now uh, Plan Sight. So yeah. first of all, you know, everyone needs to check out, you know, Self-Funded with Spencer. They're excellent, Thank excellent episodes. You got Thank a lot you. of great friends and guests that, that I know. Yourself well. included. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and you know, we have a lot of the same guests too, which is yeah. a lot of fun to see the difference. Um, but what, so now I mean, you're working for Plan Sight. Mm-hmm. They're the sponsor of your podcast as yeah. well. So let's talk a little about Plan Sight and what they do and what you do now. Well, I appreciate that and uh, shout
1: out to Steve Overton and Dave Sitter, our co-founders who have supported me through this endeavor all the way, and just said, "Hey, we it makes sense. Let's do it." And they really haven't asked any questions, or you know, um, come back and said, "You know, we're not sure this is working because it's absolutely working in terms of using podcast medium to, to promote the brand, but it's also attracting eyeballs and building credibility, etc. But PlanSite specifically is RFP software, so we manage a you know a consultant like yourself. We would manage the end-to-end uh, life cycle of an RFP across 20 different benefit lines, self-funded, fully insured, ACA and all your ancillary lines of coverage as well, with the idea that there's a single system of record more efficiency, some automation, some transparency, things like that. Just modernizing what you believe an RFP usually is, which is mostly email and Excel and PDFs, and then a bunch of manual data entry all day long. And so no matter the size of the broker we talk to, almost everybody universally does it in some form of that. And almost everybody complains about the process. And so that's that's where the inception was for this software. And it's been fun, man. I mean, I get to take stop loss knowledge, benefits knowledge, broker knowledge, all that stuff. And and apply it to the technology space, which is it's fast moving. Like you have an idea, I'll talk to our CEO. We'll flesh it out. Two weeks later, it's out. You know, it's it's on the screen. So just that speed of of seeing things come to fruition is is a little bit different than the insurance world, where you work for some very big firms, and it might take six months or a year to get something in motion. And you're just like ah,
0: it's like pulling teeth sometimes. So well, speed and efficiency is, I mean, it's yeah. huge, especially when we're dealing with so much data and numbers and trying to do things. So with plan side, is there a certain client size that you mm-hmm. that it works with best Um, Not necessarily client size. We usually like brokers
1: that have a decent mixture of fully insured, self-funded, ACA, because it's really, what we're selling is a workflow management tool for their whole block. And so we don't just sell an ACA tool, or we don't just sell stop loss. It's brokers looking for a modernization of their whole process in a system that can manage that whole historical record. So we usually like brokers that have, you know, let's call them 50, 100 clients or above that have a good mix um, as we still scale, right? We're not in every market. It yet, so we're looking for really good partners that will help us leverage that um, that location and, and such. So um, I, I just think really somebody that shares the vision of what we're trying to do and the big picture of what we're trying to do and is committed to that over the course. Of, you know, it's not just oh we're going to throw our groups in here this year and see what works. It's like we are committed to this idea and this will be the future of the way that we manage our RFPs. And so that's that's the type of uh, relationship we're looking for at this this point in our life cycle.
0: And are you working with employers direct at all or just through brokers? And no, no.
1: I mean, I think I think originally they thought perhaps direct to employer might work but i think you and i and obviously you as a consultant know that how sophisticated and complex the benefits process is and understanding what's available to go directly to an employer and then have to sell to every single employer in the world we're much better being very friendly and our our, our tool really is designed for benefits brokers with the carrier in mind in that equation as well and so selling directly to employers i think some some Competitive of ours have tried it. Some other health plans have tried it, and they get their hand slapped pretty quickly and realize that was a mistake trying to go direct. And so we much better. We'd much rather go through a consultant uh, channel like you.
0: Okay. Yeah. Cool. Uh, and then how do people reach you at PlanSite? Do you get, I mean, email? Yeah. So just, I
1: mean, uh, so obviously look up Spencer Smith on LinkedIn. Um, PlanSite.com is the simplest way to find us. Not only is there an explainer video there, but there's also a request for a demo, which I'll probably end up being the guy that gives the demo as well. So you can reach me that way, but just, just
0: PlanSite.com or Spencer Smith on LinkedIn. Okay, cool. And then, so going back to your podcast, yeah. you talked about earlier that you're I, I saw you even I think you said it with uh online, like you're going pro. Going pro, yeah. So talk what does that mean? What I, I saw that post yeah. on LinkedIn, I think it was yesterday. Well it's you're,
1: funny too, you know, I I, I... I guess have come to the realization that there's a potential to this to be a, a, a actual vehicle. Um, so rather than just a labor of love, or you know maybe you know just covering the expenses, I, I, there's there's tangible value. You know, getting people to fly in, getting people a platform to talk about their product or service, or just talk benefits and talk about humanize a lot of what we do. Um, I've discovered there's actually quantifiable value to that. And I've had some offers from people to to sponsor the show, kind of similar to have UF sponsors and just going, okay, well, if I've committed to this vision, I'm hopefully creating a decent product, there's value in that. And so this year my goal is to Take advantage of those offers and turn it into something that's a higher quality product, spend money in marketing, promotion, and just turn this into a real business um, and treat it as such. So that's, that's kind of the 2022 going pro is turning the podcast into an actual business.
0: That's awesome. I'm excited for you. I mean, you do Thanks, such man. a great job. It's gonna be it's gonna be awesome to do. I appreciate um, that. So yeah, everybody needs to. I mean, tell everybody you need to watch Spencer Smith. Uh, Self funded with Spencer Smith. He's got great, great episodes. It's over 40 of them, so you can watch it forever. Um, with that, I'm gonna kind of close out uh, on this. Um, I wanna also bring up uh, Life and Death Decisions in the C-Suite, done with our NextGen Mastermind partners is now available. Um, you can buy it online, it's been out there since, uh, I think, November, December online. It's an Amazon bestseller. But we now have hard copies that we are sending out to employers, so if you're a CEO, CFO, uh, human resource executive and you'd like a copy, reach out to me at Daniel at Ovation Life or uh, my LinkedIn profile, Dan LeBrod. send me a message. I'll be happy to get you your copy. Um, with that, we do want to thank our sponsors. We have Craig Shelley, Beverly Hills, Fine Jewelry and Luxury Watches, uh, Success North Dallas, where Bill Wallace has been creating connections for over 35 years, and Work Innovators who are amplifying the voice of business. And finally, we're going to close this out with a word from our uh, primary support and sponsor, TBX Benefits, where they are uh, experts at education and experts at administration. And thank you for watching, and we'll see you soon.
2: Employers turn to TBX to provide a modern, seamless, and hassle-free self-enrollment experience for core and voluntary products aimed at educating, not selling to employees. In fact, not only can employers provide a user-friendly, mobile-responsive technology solution full of dynamic communications, professional videos, and a data-driven decision support tool, they can do so at no cost to them. That's right, with TBX, there are no setup fees or PEPMs, and there's no need to replace existing technology, as we can easily snap onto any existing hris and hcm systems plus the enrollment experience is ready in just 30 to 45 days or less and data files are properly formatted and delivered to carrier and payroll destinations quickly securely and accurately we look forward to helping you accomplish what others can't a state-of-the-art technology platform for open enrollment new hires and qualified life event processing that's simple to implement and maintain a partnership that's a perfect fit that's tbx